This show is supported by another incredible confidence-boosting podcast, Women of Impact with Lisa Bilyeu. Lisa's story of how she went from zero confidence to becoming the co-founder of the billion-dollar Quest company and a best-selling author will inspire you no matter where you are on your journey. Listening to Women of Impact will give you the confidence to live life on your own terms without any excuses. From building confidence and setting boundaries to getting you from where you are to where you want to go, Lisa's show will help you get there. Tune in to Women of Impact with Lisa Bilyeu wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive in today's episode. Does your anxiety ever hold you back from enjoying life? Does your anxiety affect your work life? Do you feel anxiety sometimes because you think you aren't achieving enough? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. Anxiety is normal. You should have some anxiety because it keeps you safe. If you didn't have any anxiety at all, you wouldn't look both ways before you cross the street. But most of us have faulty anxiety alarm systems. It alerts us to danger even when we aren't in any physical danger. Like, let's say your boss sets up an unplanned meeting. Your anxiety alarm might go off and you might start thinking that you're in trouble. Or maybe you send an email response to somebody and while you wanted to make your point clear, you start to worry that maybe you sounded angry or aggressive. Anxious feelings can fill you with self-doubt. It can cause you to second-guess yourself and it can make you waste a lot of energy. And it often leads to counterproductive bad habits. It can also drive you to perfectionism. Today I'm talking to Maura Ahrens Mele, an author and mental health advocate who understands what it's like to experience anxiety in the workplace. She's written a new book. It's called The Anxious Achiever. And some of the things she talks about today are how her anxiety affects her at work, the habits she's tried to use to control her anxiety in the past, but they backfired, and the healthy coping skills she's now learned in therapy that help her turn her anxiety into a superpower. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Mora's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Mora Aaron's Mele on how to manage your anxiety at work. Maura Aaron's Mealy, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Hi, Amy. I'm so excited to talk to you. So I have a copy of your new book, The Anxious Achiever. And I think there probably is not a better moment in time that you could have put this book into the world. <laughs> People will often say to me as a therapist, like, what do you see most? It must be depression, right? No way. Anxiety tops the charts when it comes into what people are seeking help about. But we also know that anxiety is one of the most undertreated conditions out there. But in terms of your book about the anxious achiever, are you talking about sort of normal everyday anxiety versus clinical anxiety disorder? Where on that spectrum 
does somebody fall if you call them an anxious achiever? They probably fall from the, I have moderate anxiety to, I've been diagnosed with a clinical anxiety disorder and I've probably had some treatment for it, but it still holds me up, right? I I think that so many of us who've been diagnosed, who have great treatment, it doesn't mean we're anxiety free. (laughs) It, It takes some, you know, some doing and it may be with us. And so Anxious achievers often are people who have been motivated by their anxiety and yet struggling with it for years, or maybe they don't know that it's anxiety and they've just been having these behaviors of overwork and perfectionism and trying to control everything. And they have a little bit of an aha moment in the book. I think there's a misconception that people with anxiety disorders don't leave the house or they can't function. And that is the case for some people with certain kinds of anxiety but also really successful people often have anxiety disorders. In fact, I've probably never met a really high achieving person that didn't have some level of anxiety because it often drives them to keep going, that they want to keep pushing to the next level, right? A hundred million percent. (laughs) And, And I always say that like anxiety comes with the job when you're a leader because basically you're paid to be a little bit anxious. You're paid to think of the future. You're paid to do scenario planning. You're paid to scan the environment for threats. You're paid to think about what other people's perceptions are and how they're feeling. So all of these things actually come with the job and you're right. High achievement and anxiety often go hand in hand. But the question I want people to consider is, is this anxiety really serving me? Hmm. Am I acting out of old patterns and old habits that I just blow past goalposts and never take a breath? Maybe it's time for me to take a breath. And you come by this book honestly, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, I wrote this book for me. They say, write what you know. That's what Um, we do, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have managed clinical anxiety and depression since I was 19 years old. I actually um, have bipolar 2 disorder. So I also have had periods of intense, really life-stopping depression um, and periods of hypomania, which as an entrepreneur have been, frankly, kind of awesome. Right. And it's a constant in my life. And I really wanted to hear the stories of people like me, because as you say, you know tons of high achievers with anxiety. It's just that people never really talk about it. Right. Absolutely. So in your life, how does it play out? How does your anxiety come out at work? (sighs) Um, It comes out in everything from how I refresh my email inbox when I feel I've sent something slightly controversial or I'm waiting for bad news. It affects me in the fact that when my children were little and I would travel or I would be working and I would know they were out and about with their caregiver and I heard sirens, I would be so anxious. I'm a business traveler. I have terrible flying anxiety and I have a lot of social anxiety. So sometimes things like this or dealing with clients is really challenging. But what I learned long ago is I have big dreams and a lot of energy. And so I need to manage that anxiety. And anxiety comes in many forms and looks different in different people. But sometimes people say, I have physical symptoms. My heart races, my palms get sweaty. Other people say, well, it's just like this ruminating where I just keep thinking and worrying about 101 what-if situations and I can't stop thinking about it. And that makes it hard to 
concentrate or pay attention? I had a panic attack three days ago. I hadn't had a panic attack in probably eight months. It wasn't a bad one, but I was so cold and sweaty and I couldn't breathe. And I was walking my dog and it felt like it literally came out of the blue. So anxiety sometimes can hit you with a huge rush that's physical and emotional. And then sometimes you're right. It's that to-do list that we can't put away. It's the 3 a.m. wake-up call. But what I have learned that is so effective, I've learned good breathing techniques. I've done a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. I know how to hook into my values and calm myself. And most importantly, I know how to give my anxiety a job, which has been like a big aha moment for me. Oh, let's talk about that. What do you mean by you give your anxiety a job? So if you were thinking about that 3 a.m. stewing that so many of us are familiar with, right, where you're just awake and it seems like the bad anticipatory thoughts are going in a loop, sometimes to interrupt that behavior, getting up, writing down a to-do list, writing down a plan, printing out your calendar and sort of rehearsing what the next few days look like, right? I'm sure as a therapist, you have incredible techniques like this. Externalizing the anxiety and sort of putting it to work in a goal-oriented way can be super helpful. And then the anxiety can actually be motivating. I like that idea because so often when we have anxiety, we just want to like pace around the room and you don't get anywhere. And you just keep thinking about the same things over and over and what if, or I should have said this, or what if that happens? And we think that we're preparing, like, okay, I'm going to go into this meeting and I'm going to have already covered 55 different what if scenarios and have a solution for each one. And then you find out either none of those things happen or you still stumbled over your words sometimes and it's not quite what we anticipated. So I think that's important to say, I'm going to give my anxiety a job and it's a useful job, not just walking in circles and pacing. No, honestly, I'm I'm sorry I made a noise, but I'm going to show you my number one anxiety tool, which is my pad of paper. Yeah. Um, Something for me about literally externalizing the thoughts and the worries onto paper and then trying to organize them is very soothing brainstorm. What's something that works so well that it's basically magic? Air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the did we just hit a million dollars stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mentally stronger, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mentally stronger now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mentally stronger. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a new language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's been teaching me Spanish, which is widely spoken in South Florida. I can now carry on conversations with my Spanish-speaking neighbors without having to use Google Translate. Babbel has already taught me a lot more than I ever learned in Spanish class in high school. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com stronger. Get 55% off at babbel.com stronger, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com stronger. Rules and restrictions may apply. I love that you say that. So our last episode was just about taking your negative thoughts, writing them down and throwing them in the trash. And there's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's research that shows you can then train your brain to say, hey, I don't value these thoughts. I'm going to discard them. And you literally walk away from the trash can and that can help you stop some of that ruminating cycle. But there's also the idea of just writing something down, even if it's not a negative thought that you're going to throw in the trash, but you can make sense of a lot of the jumbled thoughts that run through your mind when you see it on paper, it kind of slows your mind down, the act of writing, and then to to be able to then look at it and say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with, can help in so many different ways. And, and, and sometimes it can be instructive. Like I had, a, I had an incident recently where I was having tremendous imposter feelings about my book. And every time I would meet someone like you, or a PhD or a doctor, I would absolutely be crushed with anxiety and imposter feelings. I'm going to say the wrong thing. They're not going to respect me. And I had this aha moment in the middle of the night, which is, I really want to go back and finish my MSW, which I never finished. I want that degree. My anxiety is telling me something. And for once, I'm actually going to listen to it. Interesting, right? That sometimes our anxiety is meant to say, let's let's do something differently. But you know, first I want to hit on that note. She said something about imposter syndrome, or if you talk to somebody that we second guess ourselves. But I had the same feeling, like we talked about before I hit the record button. When you and I crossed paths, it was because you had written a book. And your first book, was that your first book, mm-hmm. Hiding in the Bathroom? How many years ago did that come out? 20, no, I wonder if you had written 2017. Yeah, so that came out a couple years after my first book. My first book came out in 2014. And I remember crossing paths and thinking like, she's amazing. Here's this author. And at the time I was like, I'm a therapist and I got to write a book and that's cool. But here's somebody that wrote this amazing book. So then all these years later, we crossed paths and here we are like having some of the same thoughts like, oh, this person's amazing and maybe I don't belong here. The higher you get in your career, the more imposter feelings you might have, the higher the stakes get, the higher the goalposts you know, and so I think it's really important to just be like, you know what? I have, I'm having anxiety right now. What am, what am I going to do with it? Absolutely. And just acknowledging it. And then let's talk about some of the things that different people do with anxiety. Some people are over planners. Some people are avoiders. Some people say, you know, I'm just, I'm going to like micromanage. I'm going to try to control everything I can. I tend to be like the over planner, like, okay, as long as I study every which angle of how this might turn out and I have a plan for the 8,000 ways it could turn out, then I feel like I'm equipped and then like nothing happens anyway, or I could waste so much time dwelling on all the what ifs and then nothing happens or it's way easier than I thought. 
But on the other end, a lot of people just avoid it, right? They get that email and they don't know what to say, so they just forget about it and walk away. And for some of us, that would raise our anxiety to not make an immediate response. But other people can just be like, you know, it's too anxiety provoking to craft a response. So I'm going to walk away from it. Yep. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to just go click on some Instagram ads. I'm going to go <laughs> yell at the kids. I'm going to go, you know, have a bag of for me, ginger snaps. Um, totally. What about for you? What are some of the, the habits you have to manage your anxiety or you used to do that maybe just weren't serving you well? I think for me, the emotional investment in every outcome was something that was really not serving me well. I'm a people pleaser. I am the first one to feel, again, like I'm an imposter. I'm a fraud. I don't belong here. I get stuck in the thought trap of catastrophizing all the time. So if I feel something's going to go wrong, I instantly go to a dark place. And so for me, the acknowledgement that these are my tendencies and my habits was extremely powerful. And the ability also to just be like, you know what, Maura, you're not going to invest so much in that outcome. Your client is angry at you. Maybe it's not about you. You don't have to ruin a whole day worrying and not sleeping when you don't have the evidence that is actually your fault that your client is upset. And when you talk back to yourself like that, are you able to then say, all right, I'm going to move on and not ruminate or dwell on this? Increasingly, I am. I actually texted my husband this morning because I got a huge bill that I wasn't expecting. And like money is my thing. Like if I get triggered by money, anxiety, I, and I went and meditated for 10 minutes after getting that huge bill in my email. And I texted my husband and I was like, I'm a badass. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. Right? <laughs> and what would the old you have done when you got that huge oh, bill? Well, I would have called my husband and freaked out on him. So now he's anxious. And this this happens to both bosses all the time. Right. right? Your, your boss is made anxious. And so what do they do? They want to give the anxiety to someone else. So then they call you and they give you all of their anxiety. And then he would have been really distracted. I might have done something impulsive. I might have sold some stock to pay with the bill or liquidated money because I was so anxious. And so for me, learning to wait and pause before I react has been literally life-changing. Oh, I'm glad you brought up the impulsivity because we do see that sometimes with people with anxiety. Again, it manifests so differently. Some people would get that huge bill, put it on the kitchen table, tuck it under something and just be like, I, I just can't even think about it. It's too anxiety provoking. And two months later, when they get another reminder that they didn't pay the bill, they do the same thing, just walk away from it. Whereas somebody else who gets that bill might do just that. Like I have to pay it and I have to start selling stuff right now, or I have to figure out how to get the money. And it makes some decisions that maybe they later regret. But in that moment, it was, seemed like the best way to relieve their anxiety. Yeah. And, and then to figure out, yeah, what are my tendencies? What do I do with my anxiety that isn't serving me well? Because we often make those trade-offs, right? What, what feels good right now? Because we'll do anything to get rid of anxiety right in the moment. But sometimes there are long-term consequences for those things that we do. I interviewed the um, former Atlanta mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, on my podcast, and she told me the most incredible anxiety sort of coping mechanism story, which is that, you know, she did a lot of public events when she was running for mayor, and they made her extremely anxious. And her executive protection detail got in the habit. 
she felt extra strength Tylenol made her feel better. So when they pulled up at an event, they would roll down the window in the Suburban and give her six extra strength Tylenol. And she did this sometimes a couple times a day. She felt that her anxiety would go away with extra strength Tylenol. That was terrible for her liver, obviously. But, you know, we develop these almost superstitions or these actions, to your point, just to not feel the hard, awful feelings. Right. And something else you mentioned before, like when your boss perhaps gives you their anxiety because they're anxious. So like we know anxiety is literally contagious. And we've all felt that before. You're calm and the person next to you is panicky and suddenly you know, your heart starts to race a little bit too, just because it's contagious. But also people do that often when they're anxious about something, they call you up immediately, tell you 8,000 things and it has to be done now. And they get maybe even unreasonable demands. And if we don't recognize, all right, this person's just anxious and doing some bizarre things right now, it's easy for us to then pick up on that and think, ah, I have to do this too. And we start to panic. I mean, so much sort of toxic and bad behavior at work is caused by anxiety. And the most amazing thing for me is when I can talk to people in a corporate setting and they'd be like, wait a minute, is it possible? Now, I obviously, I'm not diagnosing anyone, but like, is it possible that at the time my boss was in my inbox a billion times a day was because they were anxious about this deliverable and I was easy, easy target. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But so for whatever reason, we forget that, right? We just then panic when we get that email that says some sort of unreasonable demand and then forget, gee, the reason somebody's giving me this assignment that is unreasonable is probably because there's some heat on them and they're panicked. And so they're just passing it on. Yeah. And I think it's really important right now in a climate where we have headlines like AI is coming for all of our jobs and layoffs are everywhere and things feel super scary Um, for, for managers and leaders, maybe to acknowledge the anxiety because it's in the air and and we're all feeling it. and, And mostly a lot of us are acting it out. I live on a sailboat, which means my closet is pretty small. So I try to make sure the clothes I put in it are things I'm actually going to wear. But I need comfortable clothes to wear when I work from home, dress clothes to wear for speaking engagements, and athletic clothes to wear to the gym. The solution to finding everything I need has been quince. Like the washable silk tank top I got for $50 and the cotton tank tops for just $15. Their clothing is affordable and high quality. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash stronger for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash stronger to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash stronger. Right. And I think in today's climate where there are layoffs and all of those headlines and so many conversations about the economy, and we often, some of the other behaviors that we often see that become counterproductive is people with anxiety now tend to to work way too much, right? Especially now that we can 
check your email from home or people have these hybrid jobs. So they're working many, many hours and then trying to pretend like they aren't breaking a sweat by doing it. And then there's the idea of perfectionism too, right? Where people think if I'm going to hand in a report, if I'm going to send an email, like everything had better be perfect. Otherwise my job's on the line. Yeah. Again, that uber emotional investment in the outcome, right? And seeing that outcome as a reflection on you. I I often do this exercise with people and it sounds really silly, but um, for any listeners who work in an office and use Slack or Teams or any kind of instant messaging system, I want you to think about your day interacting with Slack. And when you get the Slack bot binging or something pops up that you're tagged in or your boss is like, didn't you check the channel? Think about your behavior. Are you, I mean, I have been obsessed over a single Slack that I send. Did I use the right emoji? Is my tone okay? Am I responding quick enough? You know, often looking at how we react in really mundane ways, like our email and our Slack can show us how we're acting out anxiety, perfectionism, overthinking, all that stuff. I'm glad you said that because how often do people get caught up in like, I'm going to be the first one to respond to this. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And then, and then in thinking that if you respond first, then you somehow get favor for being the first person who replied to a Slack message or, you know, I'm going to be the one to reply to the email with the longest bullet points because then somehow that will make me look better. And then really you're distracted from the task you have in front of you because you keep responding to these other things that maybe aren't quite as important. Yeah. And even worse, you get rewarded for that behavior a lot of times. I mean, that's the hard thing is that you might be a perfectionist, right? And you might be overworking and spending really a long time that you don't need to spend. And your boss might be like, wow, Amy's amazing. She's so dedicated. Right. That's really hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Because then when, when, when you're competing too, where you feel like, all right, there's somebody's going to get a promotion and all the other people are responding and doing all of these things. And you know that they're working, say, you know, 20 extra hours a week. And you think, well, how do I compete with that? And I've encountered so many people who will say things right down to like an email. Like they don't want to send an email till they've reread it four times or even get a second opinion from somebody else. Like, how does this sound? Is it okay? And an email that maybe would only take 60 seconds, if they just wrote it and sent it, ends up taking like three hours of their life. I interviewed a lawyer on my show and he was, he was so anxious. Um, when he got home at night, he would review all of his sent messages wow. to make sure because he was really feeling like he might get in trouble. He might get the firm in trouble. He did something wrong and he would spend a couple hours at home reviewing the messages he had sent during the day. Um, I think that's a really powerful example. Yeah. How do we let go of that? When we have that anxiety of like, I'm standing on the edge of the cliff. If I make one mistake, my job might be on the line. What do you do? How do you function? I think I want to say that often it's not your job. So much of this stuff is systemic. So much of it intersects with race and gender and patriarchy and a lot of the corporate BS. And so I kind of want to turn that around and say, hey, leaders, (laughs) are you rewarding that behavior? Are you encouraging that anxiety? A manager said to me recently that if I had an employee who I noticed was always responding instantly to my emails and staying late and doing all the things, I would ask them, what resources are you not getting from me that you are working so hard? Wow. That's powerful. Yes. 
And I feel like it's probably rare as well that people would get that kind of a response. It's very rare. And so to your point, like we need to understand that the culture we work in might be a perfect match for anxiety (laughs) and they may be feeding each other. And, And we can ask that question, is this what I want to keep doing? Is this serving me? Sue, do you have any tips or strategies for the person who says, yeah, I always feel like I have to respond, even if it's after hours, or I feel like I can't block off a couple hours to work on things. Instead, I have to be available and turned on so that I can reply to that Slack message any time of day. How do you, how do you turn that off and make it that you can relax a little bit? I think it's really important to look at expectations. Um, Because if you could figure out is this my expectation that I'm always on? Is it, is it the ex- expectation of my, my company, my team, my boss? That's powerful because if it's your expectation, then the question is, why? <laughs> How? Is this necessary? And you can experiment with ways to sort of learn, maybe again, to take that investment out, take the emotion out. And if it's your, the culture you work in, you can say, well, yeah, I'm okay with that. I like it. I'm going to try to reduce my anxiety because this is not about me. Or you can say, you know what? This isn't good for me. I like that idea a lot because perhaps if we put too much pressure on ourselves and then we might also be pressuring other people when you send that email and you think, well, how come this person isn't replying to me in five minutes? Of course. I mean, have you ever got, I've got emails on Saturday mornings and I'm doing things. I'm on the soccer field with my kids, right? And I actually had a manager and she said, well, I love Saturday mornings because it's quiet. <laughs> I love to do emails. And it was like, well, wait a minute. Could you schedule those for Monday morning? Like, it's a great time for you to do emails, but you're sending the message that I need to be vigilant. And I know you don't want to. So again, these, these actions have such consequences. And I think just having those conversations, if it's okay to do that at your company to say, like, what really is the expectation? Or when you message me and I'm on vacation, are you just doing that so you don't forget? Or are you expecting me to actually reply? Expectations are a big thing for anxious achievers or people who sort of carry that anxiety that causes us to overperform because you know, maybe you're just going to change those expect. Maybe, maybe you don't like those expectations anymore, or maybe you do, and you're going to keep going and you'll sleep when you're dead. <laughs> right, right. I hear a lot of those sorts of things about like, you know, you can't let your foot off the gas because if you do, other people are going to get ahead or you're going to fall behind or you won't reach your greatest potential. It's tough when you hold on to those beliefs to, to let go of some of those things. Yeah, but I, it it's, can be so, so like, healing and actually give you so much more strength for the long haul. I struggle with it every day myself. Yeah. What are the, some of the benefits that you have since you've been working on managing your anxiety? I'm just calmer, but I think most importantly, I'm better to be around because, you know, again, I would get so flooded with my own anxiety that I would have to do something with it. It was too much for me. And so all the people around me were constantly bearing the consequences and that was unfair to them. Plus I drank too much. I spent too much money. I acted out in all different kinds of ways. And so I am definitely a work in progress But the ability, again, to like get that horrible news this morning and meditate to me is 
is very meaningful. That is amazing. (laughs) Good for you. So one last question for you is, what is something that you used to not be able to do, but you can do now that you're mentally stronger? Fly. How did you, how did you overcome that one? Well, I always did fly. I flew Mm -hmm. a lot, but I was extremely medicated when I flew and maybe drunk. And, um, I think something about the pandemic and the break from all the flying and then going back out there, but making it really about my choice and tying it to my values and like making it an obstacle that I could push through to your point. I'm much better. I love it. Amora, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. I hope everybody goes out and picks up a copy of The Anxious Achiever. I'm such a fan, Amy. Thank you so much. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Mora's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here are three of her strategies for dealing with anxiety that I highly recommend. Number one, turn your anxious feelings into action. Mora says she tries to turn her anxiety into something productive like by creating a list or preparing for something. Taking some kind of action decreases our anxiety. We don't just like to sit and wait to see what's going to happen next. Taking action gives us a sense of control. The one caution I would add about taking action is make sure that whatever action you take is solving the problem, not just solving your anxiety. I'll give you a quick example. Let's say your elbow starts to hurt. So you call the doctor and you get an appointment to get it checked out. But the appointment isn't for two weeks. You could spend those two weeks researching every possible reason for that pain in your elbow. As you know, within a few minutes, your research will tell you that elbow pain might be anything from a strained tendon that needs a little time and ice to heal, or it might be a sign that you have a rare disease and you're about to die. The more research you do, the more scared you might become. And you won't have any factual information about what's going on with you because you haven't seen a doctor yet. You don't have any tests that are done. So while I do think it's important to be your own advocate and do your own research on things, make sure you aren't overdoing it to the point that you can't pull yourself away from the computer. Number two, pay attention to the habits you develop to manage your anxiety. I love that Maura talked about the unhealthy coping strategies that we often use to manage anxious feelings. When we feel like we can't manage our inner anxiety, we often try to control the outer world. That's why we sometimes micromanage other people. Or we work way too many hours because we want to look like we're good enough on the outside. At other times, you might reach for unhealthy coping skills that get you some quick relief like turning to alcohol or even using social media to avoid a problem that gives you anxiety. So take a minute and ask yourself, what do you do when you feel anxiety? And how might those strategies not serve you well? Experiment with some new coping skills too. Maybe try exercising instead of reaching for a second helping when you're anxious. Or call a friend instead of obsessively checking your email. When you experiment with new strategies, you can discover new things that might work better for you in the long run. And number three, consider whether the expectations are yours or someone else's. Morris says it's important to ask yourself where a certain expectation is coming from. 
you might find that no one expects you to respond immediately or no one expects you to put in all those extra hours. It's you who's putting all that pressure on yourself. Check your assumptions once in a while to see where the idea that you have to be fast or you have to be flawless actually comes from. And if you aren't sure what's expected of you, ask. Sometimes a simple conversation clears things up. When you know exactly what's expected from you, you won't have to waste all that nervous energy trying to figure out how you should handle things or trying to decipher what someone's comments actually mean. Just ask. So those are three of Maura's strategies that I highly recommend. Turn your anxious feelings into productive action. Pay attention to the habits you develop to manage your anxiety. And consider whether the expectations you have are really someone else's or just your expectations. If your anxiety is getting in the way of your social life, your work, your health, or your happiness, seek professional help if you can. Anxiety disorders are one of the most treatable yet undertreated mental health issues out there. To learn more of Maura's strategies for managing anxiety, check out her book, The Anxious Achiever. You can pick up a copy wherever books are sold, and you can also check out her podcast, which is also called The Anxious Achiever. If you know someone who could benefit from learning how to manage their anxiety, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, an overachiever who's won 13 Grammys, Nick Valentine. Wouldn't you love to bounce out of bed feeling fantastic, even on a Monday morning? Well, the 5 a.m. Miracle Podcast is meant to help you do just that. It's hosted by productivity junkie, trail marathoner, and banana enthusiast, Jeff Sanders. The 5 a.m. Miracle wants to help you dominate your day before you eat breakfast. It will also help you create powerful lifelong habits and teach you how to tackle your biggest goals with extraordinary energy. Every Monday morning, Jeff shares actionable, practical advice on a different personal growth topic. He's conducted hundreds of interviews with high achievers over the years. Some of his recent episodes include the top 10 work-from-home tools and the top seven productivity strategies before bed. Subscribe to the 5 a.m. Miracle with Jeff Sanders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, 
and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.